0: Hello, and welcome to the Drama and Language Teaching Podcast. This is a podcast for language teachers, theatre practitioners, researchers in language and theatre, and anyone else interested in teaching and learning languages with drama and theatre. My name is Stefanie Giebert, and I'm the host and producer of this podcast. In this episode, I talk to Nick Bilbro and Hanin Jadala. Nick is an ELT teacher, trainer and author, Anne Hanin is an English teacher and currently also a student of theatre and education at Warwick University. We talk about the Hands Up project. The Hands Up project is a project that started as a storytelling venture targeted at schools in Palestine and now is a charity trust that involves English learners all over the world in online theatre projects. One word about the audio quality in this interview. Unfortunately, the um, audio in my bits is not very good. However, I'm the one who talks least, uh, so I hope you can bear with me, and I do apologize for the bad sound quality in, um, in the bits where I'm talking. And now, without much further ado, here's my interview with Hanin and Nick. Hello, Hanin. Hello, Nick. Usually, I start with asking my guests um, where they're based and um, yeah, you know, what their professional background is. So, if you would introduce yourselves, um, that would be great.
1: Okay, so I'll go first. So, I'm I'm my name's Nick Bildbra, and I am currently the artistic coordinator of a UK charity called the Hands Up Project. I'm an E L T author and teacher trainer and teacher of English as a foreign language, with experience from many different countries around the world.
2: Okay, thank you. Um, Hanin, what about you? My name is Hanin, and I am an English teacher in Gaza, Palestine. I have been teaching for nine years, and I used to run a very active drama club in Gaza, where I helped my learners to create and perform their plays through the Hands Up project. Uh, I have been involved in the Hansa project since 2018 and now I am based in the UK as I am studying uh, my master's in drama and language teaching at the University of Warwick. So you have a very clear connection to drama and theatre. Um, Nick,
0: could I ask you what your connection to drama and theatre is?
1: Okay, well I came into theatre quite late. I didn't do any really much drama at all at school but then I went to college in Denmark I went to an international college in Denmark and I got very interested in drama um, and I ended up going to drama school in Denmark and studying um, acting improvisation performing in plays in Danish and that that's really where my interest in learning a second language or a foreign language through drama techniques started my own experience as a learner learning Danish as a foreign language through drama activities.
0: Very interesting thank you. Danish it's it's not the most common language to learn but if of course if you if you're a student there okay very.
1: Uh, There's not much use outside of Denmark but um, it was I mean it was just that I was living in Denmark mm-hmm. at that time and uh I was interested in drama so that was what was available to me just you know i I could study a course um a drama course in danish and uh, i just found it was a really great way to develop my my danish skills
0: yeah absolutely i mean i've made the same experience with english because i joined an english english language theater group when i was a student at university so yeah Mm. i i think i yeah I, i i see what you mean
1: yeah. And then I kind of, I mean, at that point, I wanted to be an actor and I wanted to act and go on to drama school in the UK. Um, but I suppose I quickly started to get more interested in drama as a as a tool for learning. And I also thought I'm never going to be a professional actor. I'm not good enough to be a professional actor. And it, to be honest, it didn't really excite me as much as the idea of learning um, through drama. And about that time, I was sort of getting qualified in the TEFL field and going down the TEFL route of CELTA and then the diploma. And and I ended up doing a master's in educational drama in the University of Central England.
0: Okay, so your connection to drama and theatre does go back quite a long way.
1: Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And... Let's move on to the Hands Up project. Could you tell me when it started? Hanin said she became involved in 2018, if I, get, if I got it correctly. Um, but when did the project first start?
1: Yeah, well, the project didn't really start with drama. It started mm-hmm. um, with me. It started with storytelling, really. And I was invited by the British Council to go to Palestine and to do storytelling workshops with teachers. And I quickly realized that there was a lot of interest in storytelling there. When
0: when about
1: was that? Uh, that was in 2015, mm-hmm. 2014, 2015. And uh, so I was doing these workshops for teachers, for Palestinian English teachers on using story, storytelling in language teaching. And uh, I just thought maybe there's a way of, trying to do something online um, because I, kn- I knew about the situation in Gaza and the, the difficulties for young people in Gaza and teachers too to leave the, the tiny strip of land that is the Gaza Strip. So I thought maybe there's a way of setting up something online. So I started working with a group of kids in a library in Gaza once a week, just telling them stories through Zoom. This was a time when no one had ever heard of Zoom um, and uh, I didn't think it was going to really be anything major. I just thought it was going to be something I would do alongside my normal job. I was working at Marjon University at that time doing teacher training. But it suddenly kind of grew uh, beyond all expectation. And suddenly, you know, now we have volunteers all around the world who tell stories through Zoom to groups of kids in in Palestine it's we work with lots of different groups as well all over Palestine and we also connect young people in Palestine to groups of young people um around the world mm-hmm. it started really maybe Hanin can tell us more about how it the the how it started the drama side of it I mean it from my perspective it's the the drama side of um The Hands Up Project started in 2017, which was the first time I managed to get to Gaza. So I've been to Palestine lots of times, but never to the Gaza Strip. So in 2017, I went with Scott Thornbury, who's a trustee of the Hands Up Project, to Gaza to speak at a conference for Palestinian teachers there. And we were it's one of the most interesting and inspiring conferences I've ever been to. And one of the reasons why it was inspiring was, well, first of all, I met lots of the kids that I'd worked with online before, never seen them face to face. So it was very heartwarming to be greeted by lots of young people running up to me and saying, Mr. Nick, Mr. Nick, Mr. Nick, you know, and they were all so pleased to see me. And it was it was really nice to see them too. But the other interesting thing about the conference was that um, there was a, it started with a performance of a play by kids so there were um, about five 14 15 year old girls who performed a play in English for everyone at the conference and I thought wow their English is amazing they must have lived in America or they must have traveled a lot um, but I realized that actually I later found out that they'd never left the Gaza Strip these girls so I was quite amazed that they reached this level of english and as myself and scott were in the taxi on the way back to jerusalem that night we we started talking about the idea of running a competition for kids in palestine where they would create and perform uh, a 5 minute play in english and that's how that's how the the interest in drama and the specialization in Remote theatre came about for the Hands Up project.
0: Okay, so if I paraphrase, so it started as a storytelling project where people would tell stories to kids, and yeah. the drama part is basically the other way around. Yeah. Act and can be seen by other people around the world.
1: Sure. And Hanin was one of the first, I mean, one of the things I did to kind of help teachers help their students to create plays was I went to various different parts of Palestine and ran training courses on delivering um, on setting up and maintaining drama clubs in their schools and Hanin was one of the first participants on one of those courses Um, so Hanin maybe could tell us a bit about how how that all started with her involvement in drama.
2: Yeah
0: absolutely yeah go ahead.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Okay uh, fantastic so I was trained by Nick late in 2017 when he did that face-to-face training with a group of teachers about how to set up and maintain a drama club in schools in Gaza. And the whole idea was kind of new to me. So I was kind of um, sort of trying to figure out what's all this about, where he worked with with us on sort of interactive drama activities in that training, but also working with the scripts and creating characters and do all kinds of things that a teacher could do in the drama club, but also in English language classroom to sort of engage and facilitate learning for learners. Uh, and then I set up my drama club in 2018, where we started really by doing link-ups with, uh, with Nick, and he was using Stories Alive, which is free downloadable on the British Council website, which is a very, very good uh, starting point for all teachers around the world who are new to the drama. So we started working with stories and kind of having uh, sort of pedagogical activities around them. And I could see how this impacted learners and my young learners in my classroom, and how this could kind of convert those shy learners who usually feel kind of isolated from the world or they they even feel kind of behind in their learning of English. They started to feel energetic and confident and they started to be ready to stand very tall in front of the tiny camera and show Nick what they have got, what innovation they could share with the world. And then gradually we participated in in the um, playwriting competition where the learners have to sit down in groups and start thinking about how to create a play. This play could be a reflection of their own situation, but also it could kind of be a dream that they want to fulfill or a historical character they want to be one day. So it's kind of open to a wide range of ideas. It's not about moaning about the difficult situation in Gaza, but it's just kind of went behind expectations where they were where they will kind of think about innovative ways of writing plays and performing them on the screen were called remote theatre. I mean, remote theatre started before that uh, in 2017, but it just comes a lot into light afterwards. And then we had this framework of implementing uh, this sort of learning through a play. So that wasn't just for entertainment or kind of extracurricular activity. But also it was a kind of a very rich learning opportunity for those kids to discuss together ideas and start writing scripts and performing plays. So it kind of mingled between accuracy and fluency in terms of of language learning, alongside with self-confidence and highlighting their identities in that context. Um, So that's how it started and developed over the years
0: um hanin could you mention that that website again that you mentioned in the beginning stories stories alive Um,
2: it's 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 stories alive book by nick belbro and it's free downloadable on the bridge council website okay yeah
0: i could in the show notes if that's might be interesting for listeners
1: yeah so it's a book of um 10 stories some of which are very well known stories Certain Aesop's fables and things like that, but also it includes some traditional Palestinian stories. And each story has a um, a chant that goes with it that can be performed. It has a picture story, a story summary, but um, it also has a script, a simple script that can be performed. So it's a very, um, it's not not you know it's, it's quite pitched at quite a low level of of learner. Um, but that's great in a way because they've been used by so many people in Palestine and it's very it's very heartwarming to see different versions of those stories being performed and also they've been performed by other learners of English around the world now as well so that was when we first started the competition we we weren't really thinking about remote theatre what we we came to call remote theatre we were thinking just that the students had to create a play and send us a video of the play. The whole idea of remote theatre really came about from a mistake or a misunderstanding, actually, because what we found was that there were lots of entries for the competition. I think the first year we ran the competition, we had 88 entries, 88 five-minute plays, and we found that lots of them were very highly edited there'd been masses and masses of editing on them and they'd had like lots of support from people who were very experienced in making films and things like that. And so I'm thinking of, you know, there were certain plays where we thought, wow, these kids speak really good English. And then when we actually went to Palestine and met them, sometimes we realized actually they didn't really speak that good English at all. They had just memorized those lines and practiced it again and again and again that little bit and then filmed it so we thought this this isn't necessarily the best way of using um creating a play for language learning purposes because it's possibly not that much learning going on they're just memorizing that kind of small extract of the play until they're comfortable with it but the winner of the competition that year was a fantastic play called inner thoughts and it was actually performed and filmed through zoom and that's because the teacher a very creative teacher in in gaza called amal mujeres she actually understood that that's what she had to do she thought that the rules of the competition were that you had to film it through zoom so she just did it in one take through zoom and we thought after and that actually went on to win the competition. So even though it was very simple in terms of technicality, you know, there, were, there wasn't much kind of costumes or anything like that. It was very simple, but it was a real theatrical masterpiece in many ways. Um, you know, it used some interesting things like freeze frames, um, a very interesting background music that indicated a change in the scene. Um, and that one actually won the competition. So we thought, well, maybe we're on to something. Maybe we should make it a rule that it has to be done in one take, and we can't do any editing of it afterwards at all. So the next year we ran the competition, we did it in that way. And it's always the way, I think, that when you introduce more rules, I mean, this is a classic thing about drama isn't it the more rules that you introduce into an improvisation exercise onto any kind of drama activity the more we're able to uh, tease out creativity from from the participants so we had some incredibly creative um entries the next year and and that in that year the rules were no editing of the film no editing whatsoever it had to be done in one take so if they made a mistake, they'd have to film the whole thing again. And we found that this was much better for language learning because it meant that they'd had to really get behind the lines, get really make sure they understood what they were saying and could improvise if necessary if they forgot their lines and deal with any unexpected events that happened. So I think we had 188 entries that year. And some of the other advantage, of course, in doing the competition that way was it meant that those plays could be performed remotely. So many of those plays have been performed at literature festivals around the world. Um, They've been performed in schools around the world, at conferences. Uh, We've performed several of them at the IOTEFL conference in the UK. Um, And it's quite, it's its own, it's become, you know, I always say it's not just a matter of performing a play through a screen. It is its own genre of theatre. It has its own rules and special features which make it quite unique. And it's it's quite an exciting art form.
0: Of course, I, I wasn't aware of the whole background story. And yeah, definitely what you say about editing and just knowing little bits. I mean, I know that from some of my beginning students who turn in essays that sound perfect um, but then you ask them and then they really have problems stringing a sentence together in german yeah so yeah, so, yeah it <laughs> sounds like a yeah. really good idea to ask for basically live recorded performance yeah, yeah. and yeah. so they really have to own what they say
1: exactly exactly yeah. that's 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 it mm.
0: yeah and and also i also definitely see what you mean about that remote theater being it's its own genre yeah definitely i mean it's certainly evolved from different places during the pandemic because yeah theaters were forced to to do something but i guess you were first
1: (laughs) yeah Mm -hmm. yeah and it's all i mean we've tried to do it in a very low-tech way um i mean often the internet connection is very weak in gaza um and the there are regular electricity cuts and things like that. So we've tried to do it in a very kind of low-tech way. Um, and in fact, there are plays. There's a particular play in the book um, doing remote theatre called The Screen, which is one of the plays that I wrote. And that's just done in darkness with candles. So it it can work with with a very weak internet connection. And it, it uh, I mean, one of the things that makes remote theater I, I think kind of different from standard theater is is our faces now if we perform a face-to-face performance in a theater the audience can't really see our faces very very well unless they're very close to the stage but in remote theater you know if if you're doing a performance and you're on a big and your face is on a, a big screen, there's so much potential to to see real, you know the expressions very clearly. So the, the face is a very important part of remote theater. And we've experimented with lots of different forms like you know, puppetry and using masks and things like that. But I think they don't work so well through remote theater because you're missing something. if you, if you can't see people's faces clearly, you're really missing missing out on something. I don't know if you'd agree with that, Hanin.
2: Yeah, I agree. But also it depends on the nature of the play and the context. But the face is very important in remote theatre because it's very powerful when it's very close up to the camera where the audience kind of... Because in remote theatre, it's different from standard theatre, as Nick said, because um, the audience is your camera. You can't really see the audience... So the more interaction you make between your face and your voice and and the camera could be very powerful.
1: Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's another point, isn't it? I mean, there are lots of ways in which we can use the camera in remote theatre. I mean, so we can almost give the camera a role. Um, And I mean, sometimes there's a play in the book where the camera is a mirror. So the actors are looking into the mirror Um, There's also another play where the camera is one of the characters in the play, but we never see that character. We only and we don't even hear the voice of that character. We only hear the responses. And that's a play written by um, poet and playwright Benjamin Zephaniah called A Passport for What. Very interesting play written especially for this this for uh, for remote theater to be performed remotely.
0: So it, it does seem to have some elements of film because he's, you're talking about the camera so yeah. mixed between theater, film and something of its own
1: probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind <laughs> of think of it as a sort of halfway house between between film and theater. It's not pure film because there isn't any editing and it's performed live. It should be performed live and You know, it it really does. It is important that it's performed live. I mean, sometimes when we do events, we show the recording of a play, but it's not the same as doing a live performance because, you know, there's always the potential for something to go wrong. (laughs) And that adds something to it. We all know that about theatre. That's what makes theatre special, isn't it? The potential that anything could happen because it's live theatre, things could go wrong, but things could also go beautifully right. Um, And that's that's what makes it special.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So the the, the unexpected might happen.
1: Yeah, and it usually does. (laughs) It usually does. Um, Yeah, I mean, we did an event in Belfast where we hired a cinema. This was in May last year and we performed the winning play from last year's competition that was performed live Um, and it was just amazing the audience were stunned they were just absolutely enthralled by it and sometimes they don't they don't even realize that they're watching something that's live in a way it looks because they're so slick it's so slick the performance and so I mean, it's not an easy thing to do. I mean, turning on your cameras and turning them off at the right moment, making sure there isn't anything visible that's going to be interpreted by the audience. It, it's not an easy thing to do, and kids in in Palestine do it very, very well. But I think it's also another another difference with this with this genre is I I feel like it's really important to break the pretense. At the end, you know, that we actually talked to the actors afterwards. So when we did that event in Belfast, we finished the performance and the girls came onto the screen and spoke as themselves about what it meant to them to do a play and to perform it like this. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
0: It definitely makes it different from film.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: And I, I wondered... It, it sounds like it's a really big project. I mean, how many, I don't know how many schools or how many volunteers are involved in it, it. It sounds like, it, yeah, it really spread.
1: It has spread, yeah. Um, How many volunteers have we got involved? It's, you know, people come and go. And I would say we've currently probably got around 40 volunteers who are active um, in doing online link-ups. We get volunteers to be judges for the competition as well and we always ask a few we always ask some kind of well-known people in the field of ELT and theatre to be judges for the competition um yeah it has grown a lot um but we don't have the funding um anymore we did we did get an Erasmus grant um from the European Union a few years ago which has kept us going for a few years Um, and that was with that was to do remote theatre, actually, with partner schools in um, Romania, Croatia, Spain and Italy. Um, but it's not really that's run out now. And because of Brexit, we can't apply for any more. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking. We're always looking for more funding opportunities.
0: Mm-hmm. And um so is this how you find your audiences, that you have partner schools or um, is it or, or that you connect with, with venues like theatres, as you mentioned, um, abroad? Or how, how does that work? Um, so I, I could imagine it's easier to find the, the kids and the schools who want to perform. How do you find your audiences?
1: Well, do you want to answer that, Hanin? Okay.
2: So I think that, um the Hansa project is particularly working uh with schools in Palestine. Okay, so the project is promoted so schools know about this and teachers know about this. Mm-hmm. And then they just send an email saying they want to be involved in remote theater or doing link ups. But also there is a room for partner schools from other countries to be involved and it's all go through sending an email to the Hansa project and expressing their interest and in linking together as weekly link ups or doing a play together. And this leads us to um to the intercultural remote theatre competition that's coming up uh in the next few months. So the HANSA project is not only working with schools in Palestine, but it's It's mainly working uh, in Palestine and linking those schools uh, to other schools around the world and other volunteers around the world. And about the audience, so um, the plays could be performed in lots of events that are running regularly either in the UK or in other countries. Could, uh, could be performed in uh, conferences, online events, uh, international days. So there are lots and lots of things that the Hansa Project uh, is regularly launching and, and organizing, such as celebrating um, the International Women's Day or those kinds of occasions and festivals. So um, the range of audience is quite big. And uh, since I came to the UK, I was um, doing a couple of talks around the country and I could see that there is a lot of interest for people here to know more about the situation in Palestine. And in a way, they always express how, how are they amazed by the innovation of those young kids in Palestine who live in such underprivileged context and who suffer a lot, but they're still able to grant hope to other parts of the world. And this highlights the importance of the work that the Up Project is doing for those young people in Palestine who are going to lead the future of all of us and other young people in other parts of the world in amplifying the voices of the unheard and making them feel welcomed in the outer world.
1: And that's that's what we're really excited about now. This is a new direction for us, where we kind of started it last year um, with uh, making the competition open to anyone in the world now. So the rules now are that um, there need to be two or three um, young people in Palestine working with two or three young people somewhere else in the world. And they've got to make a performance of one of the plays in the book doing remote theatre, and they've got to practice it through Zoom, do all the rehearsals and everything, and get to the stage where it can be performed live um, remotely at the end. Um, But there's so much learning going on. You know, one of the struggles I've always had with um, sort of using drama for English language learning, if you're working in a monolingual context, if you're working I'm sure you've experienced this too Stephanie you know if you're working in say Germany and you're teaching English and they're working on a play it's possibly difficult unless they're a very high level to get them to use English for all of the rehearsals um, especially if you're working with young people you know for all the planning and everything that happens around the play um, it's It's inevitable in my experience that students switch into their first language.
0: I was often Uh, lucky because I had mixed groups where we, because I did it at university and we often had Uh students, so international students coming in and making like half German and half international groups. So it was a little easier to stick to English, but I I totally
1: mean. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was my experience too, actually. A long time ago, I used to work with refugees in. Birmingham teaching English to refugees and we we did several plays and of course that was English was the only language that they had in common so they had to do everything in English um and that's really what's the, that that's really the case with this way of doing the competition so the winners last year were from three three girls from Gaza and two girls from the Czech Republic they met online through Zoom to do the rehearsals And they, the only way they could communicate with each other was through English, and the same with the teachers as well. So there's one teacher from uh, Gaza working with one teacher from the Czech Republic, and they also needed to speak English together. Um, So I think there's a lot of learning that can happen um, through the rehearsal of a play, not just the lines. And of course, last year with the competition, we we took it a stage further. Um, in that we took the winners of the competition to Belfast. So myself and Hanin, this was when Hanin was just starting her master's, so she was coming to the UK anyway. And we took the winning, the three girls from Gaza, the two girls from the Czech Republic and their two teachers to a school in Belfast. And they spent a week in the school and they converted their remote play into a big Production of a face-to-face play with the local kids as well. So we had the choir involved, we had the dance class involved, and we had the art class involved as well. So we had a huge production. Well, it was only, I mean, it was only 10 minutes long, but it had so many different um kids involved and teachers involved in the school. And it was a very rich experience for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's another slight change with the competition this year we're trying to make it less we're trying to make it more about learning and less about winning Mm -hmm. if that's possible it's always nice to win with a competition but so myself and hanine are gonna be every saturday we're offering drop-in sessions on zoom for anyone who wants to participate in the competition and this will be in, in, initially. This will be for teachers to find a partner in another country to work with and to choose a play. But then we'll put people in breakout rooms and they'll be able to practice their play and we'll be able to give them feedback and support them through the process. Because we really want this to be about learning and how how can you how can we really emphasize you know emphasize as much as possible the learning potential of this experience. Um, and then the winning plays. It's a very expensive thing for us to take students from Gaza or from Palestine to to the UK, for instance. A very expensive process and very complicated. This year, what we're intending to do is go back to how we used to do the competition a few years ago before COVID, and that is take students out of Gaza to Jerusalem. So we'll take the winning plays from gaza the students and the teachers to jerusalem where they'll work in the palestinian national theater Uh, it's called the hakawati theater in jerusalem and they will work with a palestinian theater director and some local palestinian kids from jerusalem to create a show out of their plays
0: how long can participants enter the competition so when 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 does it open and for how long Sort of is it open for, for new participants to, to join up?
1: We've just opened it now, so it's um, the deadline is the 12th of May, so it's quite a long time to prepare and practice their play. Um, and every Saturday we'll be offering drop in sessions where people can come along and get some feedback on their performance.
0: And um, we, we did mention the book a couple of times. For well, listeners who are not familiar with it, maybe you could tell us a little more about that. So how did you get the idea to to write a book of plays and about remote theatre? Um, so how did that come about and how did that, yeah, what, what was that, that process like? And yeah, what, what can readers find in the book?
1: Yeah, so the book, the idea for the book was really a benefit book for the Hands Up project. So we asked lots of well-known people in the field of English language teaching and theatre and Children's authors, lots of different people to write, including um, Palestinian teachers of English who were involved in the project to write plays for the book. So we asked them to write a play that could be performed online. And we had some We had entries from David Crystal and Benjamin Zephaniah and Jane Willis and um, lots of different people submitted a play. We're very grateful for those. And um the book also contains um the first few sections of the book are about how to do remote theater so how to how to make a performance effective when you've only got that small screen to perform through um as well as kind of technical requirements um that kind of thing you know so so it's, it's a handbook it's a it's a collection of plays to be performed remotely but it's also a guide to how to do remote theatre and we're using it for the for the competition for this year we are asking participants to take a play from the book and rework it as a piece of remote theatre so it's not so much about writing a play the competition this year isn't so much about writing a play which of course has its own language learning benefits but um we're cho- we're choosing to focus much more on the performance and the rehearsal um uh this year as 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 the competition
0: and the pieces in the book were written for remote theater but mm. would they also be suitable if someone wants to de- do the the plays on site
1: sure mm-hmm. yeah definitely i mean in fact some of them are more probably more suited to that i mean it's not we we started in, in the end, in the beginning, we had this idea of trying to write notes for each play about how it could be performed remotely, and we got about halfway through. And I was asking different remote theatre specialists from Gaza to do that. Hanine had done some several of them, and then suddenly we thought, actually, maybe we we should just leave the plays as they are. We've got the teacher's notes at the beginning with lots of ideas. For doing remote theatre, and we decided we'd we'd rather just leave it to the participants to, or the teachers who are going to be directing the plays, to decide how to do it, because there's so many different ways of of, of performing a play remotely. Um, you know, you could choose to have um, one of the other interesting techniques. I think from uh, which has come out of this genre is the idea of voices off. So having voices which you can't see on screen, but you can hear. And you, if you have, say, one camera on and they're looking straight into the webcam and then you have a voice, somebody else speaking with their camera off um, and that person who's looking at the at the camera turns to the side, it really feels like they're speaking to somebody who's next to them. So that's quite an interesting remote theatre technique. Um, so I've forgotten what the question was now, Stephanie. Uh
0: <laughs> well, it was uh, if it was just suited for for, for remote performance or on-site. Yeah, remote.
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: you said both.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, although some of them, I mean, they are completely suited to remote uh, performance. I mean, something like Benjamin Zephaniah's play, A Passport for What? Um, I, I can't see, how, that would have to be reworked quite a lot to be performed face-to-face i think um yeah
0: mm-hmm. and um the plays in the book um what, what kind of language levels are they uh, aimed at
1: um do you have
0: different levels or are they more for a beginner level or what would you say
1: yeah we really didn't make any kind of requirement about that we just said to people would you like to write a play and People came back with different things. So, I mean, there are plays that are very suited to complete beginners, really, like something like, um, you know, Stone Soup by Carol Reed, which is obviously a a very well-known story and uses very simple language, um, which could be performed by children. And then you've got something like The Barbarians Are Coming, which is a very, very advanced play both in terms of language and in the themes that it explores which is i would say more suited to an adult audience so there isn't really a uh, it's a it's a real mixture i would say of plays that are suited for children more for adults um and also in terms of level but of course we all know that we can we can adapt plays and make them more suited to different levels or different age groups mm-hmm. um And I think that's that happened a lot that I mean, Hanin can probably talk a lot more about this but I mean, because you've done that. I mean, last year we we did it with um, plays from the book Welcome to Earth, which is a book of plays created by Palestinian kids. Um, So we asked participants to choose a play from that book. And I think there is quite a lot of change of the script that happens when, students start working with it i mean you worked with a group um in argentina didn't you a teacher in argentina for your play um i can smell her i mean talk a little bit about that about how how the script changed throughout the process
2: okay so we had this um we had to create this intercultural performance and we chose uh, a play that had originally created and performed by a group of children in Gaza called "I Can Smell Her." So, um, we chose the theme of working with darkness and light, uh, to kind of create a different atmosphere because it was originally done, uh, by showing a shadow theater, which was amazing. Um, a group of uh, of girls from Gaza and Argentina worked together in a series of rehearsal sessions with me involved and uh Terry the other teacher from Argentina and we really helped them to sort of say the lines to get the message conveyed to the audience and um in some bits of the rehearsal sessions the girls were kind of saying the lines inaccurately and it's really important in a remote theater context that the girls say their lines or the actors and the actresses say the lines accurately and as as accurately as th- it could be because in a standard English language classroom, the students and the teacher kind of know the context of the conversation and it's pretty much connected to the course book. While in a remote theatre learning environment, they had to get it right because the audience will hear this for the first time from them and the message should get across to the audience's minds. So if they just say the lines, whatever, or if they were not accurate, the message won't be conveyed as it should. So a series of rehearsal sessions, very rich learning environment was there when we rehearsed. Um, I can smell her. Lots of scaffolding and so many different techniques. Sometimes we were using the mother tongue. So Terry was using um the their first language with um. She's Spanish, I think, with her students. And I was using Arabic with my students in just a little bit, just to make things clearer sometimes. So there is a room in the rehearsal sessions to sort of use the mother tongue. It's not prohibited, but it also should be balanced in that learning environment because we're seeking two things we're seeking learning through the play as much as they can and we're seeking providing a space for those learners to kind of use their english sort of spontaneously and accurately um so that was happening when we rehearse uh, i can smell her and um i was very interested in seeing how those learners from coming from different contexts experiencing different ways of looking at the world how they were involved together in one slot of doing a play and they were getting on really well and they were completing each other they were kind of talking together and rehearsing with the help of the teachers so the role of the teachers was very very important in that intercultural setting because it was kind of directing scaffolding learning so it's not all about just standing in front of the camera and say the lines, it's also a very rich learning opportunity for learners, wherever they are, from whatever background they come from, they always can get together under this umbrella of the hands of intercultural theatre, remote theatre, and uh, get the best they can. So what I love about working with young people doing remote theatre is that element of creating a sort of relationship between themselves, but also with the teachers, and sort of how different cultures melt on one spot, how they are able to see the other person's perspective while they're performing the play. So this is something I think very special that the Hansa Project is raising when pushing towards participating in intercultural uh, remote theatre. And it's a very rich learning opportunity that I can't see any way else of doing that other than being involved in intercultural remote theatre. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. Um, um, a very practical question. Um, as you talked about, um, yeah, the, the the two different groups working together were the groups themselves. How do you say that on just on one computer, or were the kids like did they have their own devices, or was it basically two computers, one one in Argentina and and one in in Palestine? Um, how did that work?
1: Yeah, well, it it it. I mean, we we should say that this started because of the pandemic. Um, So before the before the pandemic, we used to have I mean, we did remote theatre with everyone performing through the same webcam. Mm -hmm. When schools were closed in Palestine, as they were all over the world, um, you know, we thought maybe this is going to be the end of remote theatre. Oh, but it wasn't. It was just a new beginning for remote theatre, because what happened was we started to. Do what we called what we came to call lockdown theatre so this meant one student per camera right. um, and this is how we did the competition last year mm-hmm. so one student per camera so five students in a play five different cameras um, for this year we're not we're we're going back on we're changing the rules slightly again and saying there can be there's obviously got to be two different cameras because there's two different countries in the world participating but there could be up to three students performing through the same camera but it's interesting how um you know it's that thing of rules bringing out more creativity there are some teachers who actually prefer doing it with one student per camera because it 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 just pushes you in more creative ways so we've now got kind of remote theater of plays so i was just talking about just before we had this meeting i was just talking to a teacher in gaza and she's doing um we're we're arranging a performance of a play called see something say something which is a powerful play about bullying and she originally her students originally made it as a remote theater piece with everyone performing through the same camera Because of lockdown, she recreated it as um, lockdown theatre, one student per camera. And I said to Amal, which version do you want to do for Sweden? Which one are you going to perform? And she said, oh, lockdown. I think it's much better. The lockdown version is much better. Um, So it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, that's a, a, a theme that keeps recurring, I think, with drama. The more the rules, the more... Uh, the more the creativity, the more creativity is 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 enhanced. Yeah,
0: um, yeah constraints can be actually helpful for creativity. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to just say as well, we haven't abandoned the idea of creating a play because I I still think I think a lot of us feel that you know creating a play is a very rich language learning experience as well as performing someone else's Um, and Hanin has been working on a very interesting project again with Argentina called Your Story, Our Story and do you want to talk about that Hanin?
2: Okay Uh, so that project is sort of intercultural project called uh, it's a kind of uh, playback theatre so it's the whole idea of that project is having uh, two classes together and they swap their personal stories. So it's very simple and easy. They have to write their personal stories individually. Then they have to decide together which stories they want to send to the other group. So um, Palestinian girls in my school decided on which personal stories they want to share with uh, their counterparts in Argentina. And Tiri did the same with her girls. So they we swap together the stories through emails the teachers did and then um, we had to create that intercultural framework for implementing personal stories in the classroom so we went through different stages of writing the scripts for those personal stories so that was kind of scripted version of your story our story the kids in their local context in, in gaza and argentina worked together and they created the script for the personal story and then they had to get together in the rehearsal sessions again and perform the other people's story so Argentinian girls were preparing to perform um, a a, a personal story for one of the girls in Gaza and uh, the girls from Gaza did the same and it was very interesting when they got together in the last meeting so they had to perform that story to each other Every group has one performance to kind of um, perform in the last meeting. And it was really rich, the sort of feedback those girls give to each other and how when they reflected on how did it feel to see your personal story performed by somebody else who has never lived in your context, who has never had the same way of looking at the world as you and who's coming from a completely different world than completely cultural background and how they managed to kind of create slight differences in the person's story it was very interesting to hear and see how the kids were competent and able to reflect on that and that's what we're all about when we when we teach English we don't want them to learn about English we want them to use English We want them to express themselves in English and we want them to have responsive and reflective skills in English. We want them to be critical thinkers. And I think that all of these things have developed uh, during that project um, in terms of language learning and also in terms of building their personalities and their characters and build that kind of willingness to accept other people's differences. Mm. That's yet another variant
0: or another... Um, facet of uh, this whole, this whole concept.
1: Yeah, it, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. yeah, and it's, it, like Hanin says, it's a kind of variant of playback theatre, and I've often thought playback theatre is kind of an old the ultimate drama for language learning activity, isn't it? Because it's that classic thing of seeing, uh, you know, I've often thought, a great way to learn a language is to try and say something and then hear somebody else repeating back to you what you've tried to express in a more in a reformulated format, in an upgraded format. And I suppose that is what playback theatre can do, um, because you can see your stories performed back to you in an upgraded version, and I suppose this isn't. This is slightly different in that there's more planning. It's not a spontaneous performance. There's planning involved, but that also has its advantages. Um, I think there's a lot that can be learned from students sitting down and trying to write a script for a story, uh, converting a, a story into a script. There's lots of learning that happens there. And And Hanine's got a re- very interesting framework for creating plays as well, um, which can be done with very large classes. Um, uh, do you want do you want to talk about that, Hanine?
2: So the whole framework starts from uh, kind of um, praising the students' interests. So they write stories in English about anything they want to want to write. And then they brought they they just bring these stories to the classroom. Or I just divide them into groups, and each group has a, a leader who's kind of being involved in my drama club in the last year or something. And then um, they just had to sit down together, discuss uh which story they want to convert into script uh for the first step to kind of break the ice and make them more feel more confident and sort of make them feel more comfortable about performing later I just ask them to create a sort of poster presentation for the story they have chosen to be converted into play and after they work on the poster presentation together they could uh, add pictures they could write on a poster and present it in front of their classmates and and then uh the stage of modeling where I just um, read out script for them or I just give every group a script to look at. So that would be a model for them to kind of follow in terms of stage directions and how they are going to write their scripts afterwards for the story they have chosen earlier. And then each group kind of go away and start writing a script collaboratively together. And a lot of learning is happening at this stage because they kind of discuss different possibilities of assigning roles to characters and write about stage directions, all that kind of stuff, and also kind of um, implement the, lang- the spoken language on Bebos. Um, After they have written the script, they have to hand it back to me where I do the reformulation stage where I kind of look at it. And Nick has mentioned a very nice activity in his book, Memory Activities for Language Learning, called That's Not How I Wrote It. And this goes in line with what I have developed later on about this uh, kind of having two versions. One of them is the very first draft that the groups have worked on. And the other one is um, the edited version that the teacher has worked on. Um, And I would like to stress out that I don't change anything in terms of the learner's voice in there so I don't change ideas I don't change the names of the characters or anything I just look at the language in terms of grammar spelling punctuation marks that kind of thing and I just kind of look at it in a more advanced way and then I just um, we just have a meeting with all the groups and I give them the scripts back without their very first draft And this kind of uh, provides kind of a challenge for the learners to kind of notice and play with their memory capacity to notice what kind of changes um, has the teacher done uh, in terms of uh, the very first draft, in terms of language. And then afterwards, I gave them the first draft and then they can check if they got all the changes there and they can find out if, if there are more. Uh, And then we work on the rehearsals. And the interesting thing, I just assign roles to them to go away and start rehearsing. Um, And then I, I just come in and give feedback to each of the groups. And we were linking to a famous playwright in the UK called Peter Oswald. He was looking at the plays and giving them ongoing feedback while they were performing to him on screen and afterwards they have to go away and develop their performance and come again and perform it to be until it's ready to go live on one of the events or something. So this is simply the stages of how to start off by something really simple in English and ends up with a big performance where in all stages, the writing stage, the editing stage, the reformulation and the rehearsal and the production, a lot of learning is happening. Um I mean, also the feedback, given, given the students' feedback, is a very large thing to cover now, but it's really helpful and interesting how the teacher can offer rich learning opportunities through this stage of giving them feedback on their written or whilst they're rehearsing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, thank you. So that's... Is- this is also super interesting. And, yeah, I know teachers are often looking for processes, how to work with big groups. So, yeah. Okay. Um, I think time's coming to, to, my time's coming to an end. Um, I would just ask um, if people want to find you on the internet. Is there a website? Or are you on social media? So where can you find something about the Hands Up Project?
1: Yeah, so we've got a website, um, handsupproject.org. Um, and we can be connected. We can be contacted through email, info at handsupproject.org. Uh, we're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, yeah, and we're always looking for. Well, we're we we're, we're very interested to have more groups around the world participating in the in the competition. If there are any teachers out there who would like to connect to a group of young people in Palestine to tell a story, please do get in touch with us, um, and we can we can connect you to a group. And yeah, just have a look have a look through the website. There are masses of resources on YouTube, lots and lots of versions of plays created by Palestinian kids. Um, actually, one thing I've forgotten to mention is the fact that we when we run the competition Well, when the first three years that we ran the competition we made a book of plays for each competition so we put 30 of the best plays in a book and then every time that book is published we go to Palestine and give it to all the kids who've got a play in the book Um they get their own copy of the book with their play in it and the, that has a, a QR code linking to the performance on YouTube and the script and also notes about how and why they made the play and the great thing is that these plays we're coming back to that theme of performing your work again by somebody else Um, lots of these plays have been performed by kids all over the world now so there's peruvian versions of some of the plays that were performed in the original book toothbrush and other plays Um, so that's another way that people can can access our work look at the youtube channels Uh, we've got channels for different years of plays and you can see all the plays that were performed for that year Um, and you could buy the books from our website we've got doing remote theatre for sale we've also got all the plays from previous years all the playbooks from previous years which are available to buy some of them in digital format some of them just in hard copies but we'll post them anywhere in the world. And we'd love to see if anybody around the world would like to make their own version of one of the plays originally created by Palestinian kids. Um, we'd love to see it. And I can tell you that the kids in Palestine would absolutely love to see that as well.
0: And that's it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you, Nick and Hanine, for this insight into your work. Listeners can find the links to the Hands Up project and the resources that were mentioned in the show notes to this episode. And who knows, maybe you feel inspired to take part in the competition with your group of English learners? Contestants can enter until May 12th. And there is another deadline coming up. As some of you might know, I'm not just the host of this podcast, but also one of the organizers of the Drama and Education Days, an annual conference on drama and theatre for language learning. And we have just published our call for contributions. So if you want to submit an abstract for a talk or workshop for this year's conference, you can do so until April 15th. The conference will be an online conference taking place from September 7th to 9th. So wherever you are in the world, you have the chance to join us. Time zone differences permitting. And to check out the call for papers, go to the website dramapedagogic.de. And now thank you for listening. Take care. Bye-bye.